0: Hey everybody, Tyree here. With before I forget, along with Kevin, say hey, Kevin. Hey Kevin. Yeah, here we are, back with a guest. We haven't had a guest in a, in a, in in a week, right? A week or two. Yeah, yeah, a week or two. So here we are with a with a guest, Miss Christy Nielsen. Go ahead and give us a little bit more information about yourself, because I don't know anything. No, <laughs> uh, I'm uh, very uh, well, bad at, at introductions. Yeah. You're good. You got it.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Christy. I'm a Navy veteran. I also served for a little while in the Australian Army. I'm what people like to call a tumbleweed. Never really had like a hometown. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong in the 80s. Wow. Hong Kong, Taiwan, the States, Australia. I've moved, I've moved a lot and I'm, my life has changed a lot. Um, and now after probably what you could be could call a failed transition out of service. I've finally found my feet under me. I'm an author and a writer and I'm trying to do my best to improve the effectiveness of leadership development training and a lot of the ways I'm focusing on doing that is using the lessons I learned from the people I served with, things I observed and also moving forward the power of mindset and habits that I think People in the military are really good at developing. And I think it's a secret weapon that hasn't been utilized to its fullest yet in that space. That's that's my target.
0: All right. Well, that's a big, enormous chunk of information that we <laughs> just blew through. I mean, first off, you're born in Hong Kong.
1: I was. Yeah. Back when it was still uh, British territory.
0: OK. Hmm. Um, do you remember anything about that? Where you did you oh, stay there uh, yeah. for a while? Okay.
1: Yeah, I lived in Hong Kong and Taiwan until I was almost eleven, okay. So I had a very short stint in Australia with my mom, but the first big chunk of my life, like the developmental years of my life, I I was this bright blonde, very white child running around in Hong Kong and Taiwan, like a complete anomaly, um, unless you're hanging in the expat circles. And so I never really like understood a lot of world conflict, because I had so many friends that came from all over the place. I was like, we all get along great. Um, But my dad was working as a corporate executive, I guess. And it's the best way I can describe his job. And he was also serving in the British, um, the British Army's regiment in Hong Kong there. So he was, he was an officer and led the, the Gurkhas on patrols along the borders and stuff. So
2: that's pretty badass. Hell yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, did you go speaking the languages?
1: I used to know a lot of languages. Like all things, if you don't practice it, you lose it. When I was a kid, yeah. I was very good at Mandarin and Japanese. And then as you move, you have to adapt. So a couple of years ago, I was learning German, and now I'm learning Spanish. And sometimes they all kind of just collide with each other <laughs> and you say something that makes sense to nobody because it's like a mixture of german english and spanish and they just think you're drunk so <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome um <clears throat> so you you also have a master's degree in education i do and um what was it your your uh, your thesis was on um what was it? would you ca- would you call it sport adventure adventure sport
1: it's, um, so I, I went and got a master's degree purely so I could write my thesis. I'm not a teacher. I'm not in, um, in the K through 12 or college spaces. And the thesis is on the benefits of outdoor adventure education for veterans with PTSD. So basically the power of the outdoors.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, what, uh, so what made you want to write that specifically? Cause I mean, that's, that's a long journey to go through to get your master's degree just so you can write that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when I left the Navy, I was I had been diagnosed with a TBI, PTSD, and like a list of other acronyms that I think hearing the doc sort of slap me with all of these things did more kind of like damage to me than just understanding that something had happened. Because then I had all of these labels and, you know, if you're a vet and you've got this laundry list of things that's wrong, you know, so to speak with you it it's not always an easy journey to try to explain that to people and you know now like you know you're worried about purchasing things um but when i left with all of this they also drugged me up to a level that i didn't actually think was necessary i mean i was on a high dose of ambien i was on a high dose of zoloft on a couple other different like anxiety meds that I didn't really get a choice to say, Hey, I don't want to go down this road. It was, this is what's wrong with you. This is the path of treatment. Here you go. And when I left the Navy, there was no sort of aftercare plan in place. I wasn't married yet. um, So I was sort of in like limbo healthcare wise for about two months in California, just sort of not really understanding what I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to turn if the VA would help me, and it got really dark in our house, and I remember I looked at my now husband, and I said, hey, I need you to lock up every weapon in this house, because for, I can't explain it, because I have no desire to kill myself, but I've just been sitting here fascinating, like imagining all of the ways I could use these guns, and you know, he's, he's, he's amazing, but what I didn't know is that he had started to see a change. And so he had already like downloaded every weapon in our house anyway and hid everything. So I wouldn't have had access to anything anyway. And then we went on a road trip and it was about, as I was struggling to get up out of Bryce Canyon. And this is after I'd come off everything cold Turkey because I didn't have a medical provider. I was coming up out of Bryce Canyon and I just felt better. And at the end of that hike and the end of that two weeks on the road, No medication, just the outdoors, pushing myself to limits that I knew were there, but I hadn't gone to in a while. It honestly saved my life and it saved my marriage. And I figured there had to have been something in there that people either just didn't know or they didn't talk about, you know, like they've only just now started looking at alternative treatments for PTSD and TBIs. It was very much, we went from don't talk about it to, okay, you can talk about it, but then you have to be on medication to, oh, no, that's all woo-woo-y and outdoors and yoga and all that stuff. That's all nonsense. And the more, and so I was like, okay, well, if this, sa- if this changed my life and saved my life, I want to see if that was a fluke or if there's something that supports it. So that's why I wrote my thesis.
2: Yeah, I, uh. I 100% agree with that. I wish more people would get outside. I mean, I haven't done a ton of research on it. I'm sure you've, you've done your fair share
1: mm-hmm.
2: of, of research on that particular subject, but I, I feel the same way. Like if I, I love to go out and hike. I live in Northwest Arkansas, we have a ton of green waves. We have a ton of woods, ton of hiking trails, uh, a lot of national parks, um, and, and the national forests. And I like to be out there as much as I can because when I come out of the woods, I just feel better. It doesn't matter how stressed I am in my life when I'm in the woods and I'm surrounded by the trees and the, the squirrels and a bear one time. Um You know, like it was just that's all I'm that's all I'm concerned about. That's all I'm thinking about. That's all that's in my mind. And so when I step out of the woods and I go back to my vehicle and I'm like, yeah, I feel like I can I can continue the day mm-hmm. um or the week or whatever it may be. Um mm-hmm. And it got to the point for me anyway to where like I just go hiking because you know, yep. I don't have to be in a, a downward spiral. I just want to go be out in nature. And there's really something to that. And it's mm-hmm. maybe it's something primal, something primitive, you know. Um our, our our um you know, this 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 connection to um our past selves twenty five thousand years ago or whatever it may be. Um, but I just there's a there's a lot to be said about getting out in the in the trees and yeah. You know, just sitting there, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and, and absolutely. And these adventure programs that places like uh, Boulder Crest, which is um, set up for EOD families or um, oh, what's the other one? Big outdoor thing. Now I can't remember the name of it. Ugh, blanking on that one. But the way they have these programs set up, it's they challenge you in a way that you are forced to like your self-confidence naturally actually sort of starts to develop again and your interpersonal relationships and your ability to communicate effectively all come out of being outside, being away from our phones, doing things that we enjoy doing that are challenging and are also actually then going to help with a lot of the things that PTSD takes from people. And I just think it's, I would love to see more to be done to get people into these kinds of programs. You know, you think about the the number of veterans service members that we've lost to suicide. It's like the, the number is just insane over the same 21 years that we were at war. And I don't think, I don't think it's an acceptable number. I think it's atrocious. Um, But I also understand I got asked directly by a nurse. Well, why isn't this prescribed more? I was like, well, there's no money in a cure. Is there like, right. if, if they were to be like, well, you don't need any of this medication, okay? And then on the little bit more morbid side, we're a self-solving problem for the VA. Right. If I go and kill myself, they're not going to keep paying my pension. That's just mm-hmm. money they save. They're like, oh well, there goes another one, and write you off. Like it's
2: yeah. Do you do you almost do you, do you almost kind of feel like that's a like an intentional like. Um, almost like byproduct, I guess, like, well, you know, like we can medicate him and, you know, and if, if that goes south, then, we're, we're, oh, well. you know, yeah. Do you, do you almost kind of feel like that, like at some level somewhere that's intentional or is it just like a happenstance?
1: No, I mean, I'm fairly cynical by nature. So I think people yeah. have access to this information and you can't read the information and be like, no, that's not possible. That's not related. So I just don't think they care.
0: That doesn't what, affect. Mm. You
1: got to look at the people who are making these decisions and who are flying around on their private jets and everything. Like, they don't care about the average veteran who is struggling to, you know, recover from their experiences. So yes, I think. It's sort of like intentional, like neglect, maybe like they're just like they know and they're like, meh, whatever. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I totally think that they know and they don't care because every statistic ever tells them that everything is wrong or it could be going a lot better if we just made some small changes. But here we are just flooring it right into that brick wall because this is what we know. The people who are affected by this shit the most know the most about it because they live it every day. The people who make the rules about this shit don't know anything about it because they're just doing it for votes or money for that private plane. So Mm. it's very important for us, the veteran, the people who are affected by this uh, to do the research and try multiple alternatives for different things like stay away from hardcore drugs and shit like that. But it's not always about the medication they give you at the VA. You can do Mm -hmm. a ton of other things that are extremely beneficial. And I'm very, very glad and happy that you uh, came upon camping of all things to, Mm -hmm. to really get into it. That side note, me and my wife, uh, we, we go camping from time to time. Initially I told her, Hey, we're going to go under the stars, no tent, just sleeping bags. We're going to, you know, go hardcore. We're infantry, you know, She said, no, we end up glamping. (laughs) And uh, it was fucking awesome, man. Like, (laughs) uh, like doing
1: this wrong for years. (laughs) Exactly. Like,
0: why did I go out here to have a bad time when I can have a freaking great time? So it's a it's a huge benefit. Me and Mm -hmm. and my wife love it. So kudos to you guys for finding that.
2: There's there. But there's there's something about. Like doing on your own terms going out and sleeping under the stars and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, not having to dig a foxhole and yeah, <laughs> you know, do mm-hmm. all the dumb shit that we had to Stan do. Stand to yeah. <laughs> no, There's you. it makes it a lot better when you get to do it on your own. Um so because I wanted to say something like uh so it, you said um when you asked your um well he he wasn't your husband then, right? Um No. But when you asked him <clears throat> to uh to, to lock up everything and he mm-hmm. you said that he already saw a change in you and already mm-hmm. you know took those 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 proactive steps mm-hmm. um i i can't stress like how important that is in a relationship like if your significant other isn't able to pick up on, again like don't be wrong i i hide things like like
1: mm-hmm.
2: like really well you know what i'm saying but like <clears throat> if you know the person you're dealing with then you can see these changes yeah. And um, so that's that's really awesome that he was able to pick up on that stuff mm-hmm. and and like just leap in and 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 do what he thought needed to be done. Uh, well, it's a,
1: and it's a cool. two way street, too. You know, Um, we were both active duty when we met and we decided very early on that our relationship was going to be very open and honest and we were going to communicate about everything, even if we didn't want to, like even those conversations you don't want to have. and what ended up happening was then the roles got reversed his last combat deployment he came home from i knew the second he came off the off the flight line that something was different about about him and he i remember he lost his temper on our, on one of our dogs and it was such like this jolt of like oh my god like shit something's happened. And that was a really rough deployment for him. Um, I had to call him in the middle of it and tell him one of his best friends in the world had, had killed himself and just a shit, shit go of it. And we ended up doing the exact same thing. We loaded up the truck and we got out of town and we got him into the woods and we went hiking and we talked and, if we hadn't been in that position where we knew each other, we communicated, we were able to sort of observe what was happening, I don't know what would have happened. And that's a scary thought, too. Like, and I'm sure he was terrified as well when he saw me like that. But you do notice, like, when something is off. Maybe somebody's not talking quite so much, or maybe they're not making eye contact quite so much. There's such subtle things that if you are fortunate enough to have the right, the, the good people around you who know you, they can be a godsend for yeah. sure. Well,
2: and they also have to be kind of looking it too. I mean, not necessarily looking for, but at least, at least aware enough of your demeanor and how you mm-hmm. normally speak and, and present yourself to be like, wait a second, that looks a little yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember, so I, I, first time I went to the VA to talk about PTSD, I had to go talk to a therapist, or whatever. And, uh, I sat there in that chair for about an hour, um, telling this woman um, just how much I don't have PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there like, no. And I, 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 I in all the ways that you can have PTSD, I I'm don't know, like. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm sitting there it's like, sometimes my arms are crossed, and we know like mm-hmm. body language says a lot, right? And and at the end of that, she's like, oh yeah, yeah, you definitely don't have PTSD. I'm like, wow. How did I pull that off? How did I trick somebody who has a degree in this? Mm-hmm. And I look back on it now and I'm like, it kind of ties into what you were saying earlier. I just think that they don't care. Yeah. You know, to, to some degree. To some degree. <laughs> Obviously this person wouldn't be sitting in that uh that chair on the other side and, and you know, if they didn't care at some point, but you know. You'd
1: hope not, anyway. Yeah,
2: you you were, for they, sure.
1: You hope they don't go to work at the VA because it's just a paycheck. I can't imagine it's that good of a paycheck. Well, <laughs> so well, so,
2: well uh, I was going to say like I, I work for the VA, uh, so I can't badmouth them too much. But um, uh, <laughs> I I get paid pretty decently, but all I do is transport. I just take people around to their appointments, which is super amazing because I, I get to talk to like all these like Korean War and Vietnam veteran guys.
0: Yeah. Some cool hmm. stories, Kevin.
2: Um, question:
1: You uh,
0: say that you you felt like you tricked them. Did you feel like you had to do that? Was that something you had to do? No, to, you no, know? no.
2: And I'm glad you asked that because it reminded it just reminded me of another point that Chrissy brought up earlier that I wanted to bring up. Um, every time I leave the VA after an appointment, regardless of what it's for, every time I go to the VA for an appointment, every time I leave the VA, I, I feel this like this level of anxiety, and I walk out and I feel like, okay, nothing is wrong with me now. But I remember the second time that I had to go in and talk to someone, I went to a therapy consult and this lady, I sat down and she genuinely gave a fuck because she was like, my brother killed himself because of PTSD and, and this and that. And this is a very serious thing for me. And, and she sat down with me and, and like, I'm you know, practically crying in this lady's chair and and she's telling me that like, well, I mean, to me, you have depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And it felt great to have somebody there that actually gave a shit. But when I left, um, I... I felt I have more labels. I have more things. Like you said, after that first time when I lied to that lady and she said, Oh, you don't have PTSD. I went and sat in my vehicle and I fucking bawled my eyes out for like an hour. Right. Because I knew what I had done. Like, and that was an opportunity to potentially get help. And I lied my way through it because I didn't want a label. I didn't want, like you're talking about, because I didn't want to be labeled as this and that because we're we already have veterans already have enough of a stigma coming out of the service right we're crazy we're short fused we're angry all the time um we're liabilities in the workplace
0: yep.
2: and the last thing i wanted was you know depression post-traumatic stress disorder anxiety fucking um uh social disorder antisocial disorder social, you anxiety, know
1: I mean? social anxiety disorder that's a fun one <laughs>
2: Yeah, so that's the last thing I wanted. But at the same time, though, when I went into this 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 other lady, um, and she diagnosed me with these things, it was a bit of a relief because now I can identify and like I can understand my my behaviors a little bit better. But at the same time, you're still kind of slapped with these labels, and that's nobody wants to be labeled as something that is bad.
1: And I think too, like what came out of my time trying, like, going through the VA process, um, one, I realized that I had to be able to look myself in the mirror and say those things to myself, like, okay, yes, I, because I felt like I'd failed, right, I was like, I have been through some really hard shit in my life, I was emancipated at the age of 17, I put myself through my final year of high school, like, that didn't break me, that didn't cause, you know, obviously, that's all a lie, but, like, in my head, I was like, I was fine, why am I not fine now? And then I remember the first, uh, the second job I had outside of the Navy, I walked into this guy's office and I said, hey, I've got to go. I've got an appointment at the VA. And he looked at me and he went, great. Now I have to worry about some crazy veteran coming in here and killing everybody. And I looked at him. I was like, are you? Uh." And it took me by such a surprise. It took me a second to catch up. And I just looked at him down the eyes. And I was like, well, if I do that, we all know who I'm going to start with.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, like, man.
1: And just to kind of catch him off guard, too. And, because, and then the whole drive to my appointment, I was like, I can't believe that man had the balls to say that to
2: me. <laughs> yeah.
1: You got to be seriously out of touch with just life to make such a blanket statement. About the veteran community like that. Like, oh, great. Here we go. Here's another one.
2: And and for all he knows, it could have been a VA appointment
0: to go give labs.
1: Yeah, I wasn't (laughs) divulging my personal history to this man. I didn't trust him.
0: (laughs) But that just definitely shows, like, the difference between someone who cares, the person that you were dealing with, Kevin, at the VA, and that person who is ignorant to everything, you know? Everything. Well, and that also kind of ties
2: into your book. That uh, you wrote, it's right here. I'm going to hold it up. The power of elite teams, right here. Can everybody see that? Oh yeah. Bam! Look at that. I, I'm asking, like, can everybody see that? Like, we have an audience? Um, like we're on the Tonight Show or something? Um, where you talk about in your book that, like, when you, when you left the Navy in 2016, and you, you 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 get into the civilian market, and you're like, I'm going to go find a job, and I'm going to go um, excel in these jobs with these people that also want to excel in these jobs, and then you get there, and you're like, does nobody here give a shit? Like let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second because that's a big deal. Like that's a huge deal in the, with the transition.
1: Well, I think too, it's, it's a very individual thing. So if you are someone who gave a shit while you served and wanted to do well, I loved my job in the Navy. I decided I was going to join the United States Navy when I was 10 years old. Like I knew it and I did a lot, I made a lot of choices to get me to serving in Naval Special Warfare. And it was such a high, like, and and I knew it. I even knew before I separated from the Navy that if I left NSW and I went back to a regular, like a regular CB command, it was going to feel less than somehow, you know, when you operate alongside people or at a level that is elevated, anything that's not that feels less than. and. If you like to do well, if you like to work hard, you're almost like an oddity these days. You know, people are very much looking for quick shortcuts. That's why these posts of like, I made 100 grand in 30 days selling this nonsense on social media. It gets like a bazillion likes. Whereas if you're like, I have a process. It's taken me 18 months, but you'll get results. You're going to get crickets. You know, people want the quick, quick and easy, and they don't want to work hard. And it was... Yeah, it was alarming, because I just felt so out of place, so odd, (laughs) like, I just, and I was trying to find something that meant as much as what I had been doing, and it took me a really long time to be like, okay, well, that was an awesome part of my life, but they're special Warfare for a reason. Like they didn't just come up the term "special" because they wanted to give everyone feathers in their hats. You know, like it's they're set us up apart for a reason. It's not going to be like that. But oh man, did I did I flounder in my transition out of the service because I was I was expecting to to find a place where I was going to be alongside people who wanted to excel and do well, and I didn't find it. I found a lot of places that and people that were more like I joke that I ended up working for the same person just in a different body and it was like one of my worst chiefs I've ever had he just like manifested himself in every boss that I had and uh, but I just remember thinking like what the hell like why why do I not fit I can't believe it's just because I served I can't believe it's just because I served and it yeah it was it was rough
2: well, imagine that coupled with any any type of like you said, like TBI and, and PTSD and, and all these other um little acronyms that we're diagnosed with. Like that so like that was part of my problem is when I came out of the service, like I knew I was kind of fucked up, but like I didn't go seek help. And uh at the same time I was trying to like go to school, go to college, and I sucked at school before I joined the army. So like I don't know what made me thought that I was gonna do well mm-hmm. at now. Um and then on top of that, trying to have a job and then um yeah, it was all a big failure for a couple of years, um, but yeah, no, that's that has been. So I'm in the Army Reserve now. So I was active duty first, and then came into the Army Reserves um, a year after I left active duty. So I was IRR for a year, and I was actually Tyree that uh, helped pull me back into the reserves. Um, so I'm a drill sergeant in the Army Reserve. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, it's it's been it's been it's been good. Yeah, it's been I, I've good. had a great time with it, um, but you know, like even if you're in the the army reserve, like you still have to have a civilian career Mm -hmm. and having done my, my time on active duty, we did two deployments, one in Kosovo, one in Iraq, and then coming into the reserves and coming into a drill sergeant unit where like there's a standard that is upheld in that type of unit. Um, We're not anything special like, you know, Naval special warfare or army SF, but we are a a very small niche group um, who hold each other accountable to a specific standard because we are drill sergeants. And so trying to work in both of those fields, right. The civilian market and the army, like as a drill, um, was definitely a huge challenge because you, you try to find these jobs where you, 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 you can relate to these people. Like I remember the first time I came off the trail, I was mobilized for a year as a drill sergeant down at Fort Hill training troops. I did four cycles. And I come back to the job that I I worked at was armored transport, you know, and everybody carries a gun and like, nobody actually gives a shit about safety or doing things the right way. Cut corners left and right. I mean, it was just, there was no professionalism. There's no customer service, so to speak. Like one thing is a drill sergeant. Like you have to obviously be the trainer and be the um, author authoritarian and disciplinarian. But Whenever it comes, you know, graduation and family day and the families come up there and they want to talk about, you know, they a little junior, mm-hmm. you also have to be able to speak to them, you know what I mean, in a professional manner. A lot of people don't seem to understand this. And so trying to, like, take these skills and use them in the civilian world where, like, it's just not valued was a huge, a huge, like, kick in the face. Um, and it's continued to kind of be that way. That's part of the reason why I like working at the VA now. And my last job, I was a mil- military technician um, where everybody that I served or worked with was – was in the service. So there's a standard that's upheld, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of the bosses are like first sergeants or warrant officers, you know what I mean? So like they uphold that same standard. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that, that is a big, a big deal. Um, and so you talk about that a lot in, in your book, um, how to, how to build a better business. Now, is this for like if let, let's say me, I've been on the job for a year and I, I work in some team, let's say it's marketing or whatever it may be. And I, I'm, I'm just a, a, a low level employee. Well, can this, can this book still help me?
1: Oh, absolutely. I don't just talk about, I mean, it's addressed to anyone who's part of a team and there's obviously a leadership element to it, but you don't have to be in a leadership titled position to be a leader. I think that's a, uh, it's a false sort of notion that we've created that if you don't have the title, you're not a leader. That's nonsense. Um, Anyone can be a leader in any situation, but another part of what I talk about is this accepting that you have to continue your own personal development as long as, as alongside your professional development, you have to continue to grow yourself. And that's for anybody that's for somebody who's looking to find their place in a new team. It's, it's for the guy who's been in a leadership position doesn't understand why everyone's leaving or hates him, doesn't even know if they like their jobs. It's for anyone who just wants to improve their circumstances in which they find themselves in a group of people. And I, one of the chapters is, I think it's called Quit Being That Boss. It is very much like how, after so many decades of talking about leadership and leadership development, are we still having conversations around micromanagement? I just think that's silly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. No. So, chapter eight. Yeah. Like yeah. literally, quit being that boss in the very first section, and that is stop <laughs> micromanaging. You know, you're absolutely yeah. right because, <clears throat> I mean, I've been in the army for 22 years, right? And I remember when, I, as a as a private, you know, the hearing the term uh, micromanager and being like, "What is this?" and then being shown an example in the formation of what a micromanager actually is. And how, you're right. How is this still a thing? You know, yeah. I mean. That, but that applies to so many things like, you know, on social media, U.S. Army, what the fuck moments. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> the, the the reason their account still exists is because there are dumb leaders out there still doing dumb shit and fucking their soldiers over or their yep. troops or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And and uh, no, that was actually one of the chapters that I was uh, I was I, like I said, I was looking through your, your table of contents and I saw that one. I was like, oh, that's going to be a good chapter because
1: mm-hmm.
2: why is that still a thing?
1: Well, and I looked I went sort of down this research rabbit hole of like, how are every, every time you get on like a platform like LinkedIn or Facebook, there's someone, and I I don't proclaim to be a leadership guru or anything. I just have my opinions. Um, I'm not a coach. I don't coach people in this. I will provide information, but there's, there's thousands of leadership development programs and coaches and firms and whatever. And the, the numbers are actually astonishing. It's like, in the United States, every year, sixty-six billion dollars is spent on leadership development, and it's ten to fifteen percent effective at best. So you've got eighty-five to ninety percent of everything you're giving out that's just oh, that sounds great, clocked off, and I don't care. And you know these people leave, and it annoyed the absolute hell out of me. And <laughs> so I was like, all right, well that's got to be in there because it's. It's such a simple concept in my mind. Get the right people together, give them a target, give them what they need to achieve it, and then get the hell out of their way. You don't need to be involved. Like, it's not about you. Like, it's about them. And I led like that when I was in the Navy. I was I never felt more proud of my service than when I was watching my junior guys get their qualifications, you know, get their their warfare pins, get promoted Because I felt like they, I was, I had helped in a small way them to grow and achieve in their career. And that meant everything to me. But then I had chiefs that were like, you need to play the game if you want to get ahead. And I was like, no, it's like goes against everything I believe in. I don't want to play your game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, It's, it's crazy. I'm sure that the people that you've worked with can always go back and say, damn, I remember how she helped me out with this and helped me out with that. And that's somebody who I look up to. And that's somebody who I want to tell other people about. That's very important to me. But the flip side is how do people like that chief telling you, if you ever want to make it, you have to play the game. How do people like that stay in charge is, is my question. When we yeah. have people who are, at the lowest level can make small changes that would point out people like that and get them out of their leadership roles. I know it seems like it's something easy to do and it's, it's something that actually takes some work, but it's not impossible. I mean, I wish there was a way in the military that the lower ranking people can nominate the people who they want to be in charge of them instead Mm -hmm. of just being hit with this new guy from wherever or this old guy who has several different things in his packet that we don't need to know about, mm-hmm. but he's in charge here now.
2: Uh, so there, yeah. There's, there's actually a, a couple of things in, uh, in place on that though. Like we have command climate surveys, right? So you get um, your, your new commander and they're 10 years, only two years, three years. And you do, as soon as they come in, you do a command climate survey on the previous commander to let them know like their faults and their you know, they're good and they're bad. And then about six months into that new commanders, com- new command, um, you'll do another one and that's to say, this is what I think about this new commander now, but it's, it's, it's pre-existing questions, right? It's, they, they, pre-made questions You say, these are the 10 or 15 questions that we want to ask you. These are the only metrics that we're concerned about in this regard. So you answer those questions and nobody actually does the command climate survey anyway. Um, and when they do it, they probably answer it incorrectly be, or uh, they lie on it like they do every other survey that we get in, in the military. And then at another year mark, um, the command climate survey is done again mm-hmm. and, Again, it's the same process. And then even if – even if, and, I, and, I, and I've, I've never seen the results of a, a command climate survey um, acted on. Like I've never seen them say like, okay, so this is what the breakdown was. I've had one commander my entire time in the Army actually get in front of the troops and say, okay, so based on the, the previous command climate survey, these are the things that were said. How do you think we should approach these things? But I don't know that anything was actually implemented. So that's a big part of that. Um, but I think Tyree, to answer your question, though, the reason these people are are in these positions is because people like Christy, who don't want to play the game, choose to not play the game. Yeah. You know yeah, what I, I mean? Left.
1: And- and, yeah, I chose to leave. And every good person that I know, like one of my favorite chiefs I ever had, he didn't fit into the chief's mess because he was very much, I'm going to fight for my guys. I'm gonna fight for my people. I don't care if I make senior chief. And that makes you in in the community I was in, that makes you a pariah. And people like that then just go, fine, I'm done. Like I'm not dealing with this anymore. I don't have to put up with this. I'm leaving. And then who's there to promote from? The people that are left. You know, I, I see where we are in Spain, there's a rotation of C V battalions here every six months. And I've seen people I served with, and I'm like, how the hell are you a chief? Like, what (laughs) happened that they were like, whoo, man, yeah, we better make this person a chief because that's the best thing we can do for this cycle. Or you just think, okay, did you just stick around long enough? They're like, okay, well, we need to promote somebody because everyone's leaving and retention (laughs) sucks. Like, It's just such this...
0: Uh, and it's not even
1: like, I wish it was at the CO's level. I wish the CEO knew all of this stuff and had the ability to to act on it in their 18 months, two years that they're engaged in the command. But there's like the middle management, you know, like the senior enlisted good old boys club that exists in every branch of the military across every community. You'll find them and they've just stuck around long enough to to wait it out, to wait out people like me who are like, no, I'm, I'm thank you. Thank you very much. But this is my exit.
0: Have you ever had any serious regrets about leaving? I mean, you seem extremely passionate about things, but then step away.
1: Well, you know, you get asked, do you miss, do you miss the Navy? I, I get asked that a lot. Do you miss the Navy? I miss the people I served with and the shenanigans every single day of my life. Absolutely. But I didn't have anywhere else to go in my career. Like I was very much at a crossroads where I was, I had just done an overlapping deployment with my now husband. He left for deployment three weeks before I got home from my deployment. And this was the year before we got married and I was up for orders. I got promoted and I was like, Hey, like, let's work something out. And my detailer said to me, well, your career counselor has pissed me off, so all the construction mechanics are going to go exactly where I put them. And I just remember hearing that phrase and thinking, "What the hell does your problem with her have to do with me and my career? Like I didn't ask to get promoted. You guys meritoriously promoted me, so I'm doing due diligence here." And uh, he was, I was like, "Okay, well, thanks. I'm, I think I'm just going to get out then and just carry on the path that I had created when I was when I was still an E5." And he said to me, "He one I play chicken with people all of the time and I always win. Everyone always ends up re-enlisting. And I thought, no, I just, I can't do this anymore. Like they're just taking so much of my life. (laughs) I went up and turned my quota in. And the thing is, is like, we have such a highlight reel of our service, right? Like I think back and I was, oh my God, I got to do this cool thing. And this one time I got to play tag with a helicopter and a boat. I got to serve with these people. Those are such tiny blips. Like, 98% of my time in the Navy was thinking, what the hell am I doing listening to this person who I'm sure needs, like, somebody to help them get dressed in the morning because they are so incompetent? Like, they're just that bad. And that makes up more of it. You know, I can, and we all have, sto- I think we all have the stories of like the amazing things we've done that we, when we look back on service, that's what makes transitioning hard is that's the highlight reel. But the truth of the matter is if you sit down and you evaluate your service, unfortunately there's going to be, m- because we can't, we, you know, we're, we're struggling to change it and just in the retention, the reenlistment and all these things we can't get people to serve because there's so many problems. The true honest part of it was, no, I was done. I, Other than making Chief, which I didn't really have any interest in, there wasn't a whole lot else for me to do. I had gotten as many qualifications as I could. I had a degree. I just felt like if I had stayed in, it would have just been to bide my time and kind of tread water for a little while. Um, You know, and as I look back on it, I can see things like, standing out on the playground on a Friday morning waiting for command PT and it's dumping rain on us and the CO opens the blinds of his office and you can see him like drinking his coffee and then he like closes the blinds and about another like 15 minutes goes by before they came out like yeah PT's canceled and you're like obviously (laughs) the man's not even coming out (laughs) He's opening the blinds, going, What are these dumbasses doing? And you're just standing there waiting for a chief or a lieutenant to go, I'm gonna take ownership of this situation and improve it. But we just stood there waiting. That's um, what I was gonna
0: say is who was who took ownership of the situation, like, all right, this guy's obviously fucking off. Like who's gonna step up here and say, Hey, let's this is what we're gonna do now? Or was it no, that kind of that kind of command? Oh wow. <laughs>
1: The whole command, the whole battalion, just standing there waiting for him to come out mm. to like do our Friday command PT. And I think he was just like, I feel like maybe someone should tell them not to be out there, but maybe he forgot or it just there, was. Like, there's I get definitely wet. a couple
2: of things wrong with that scenario though, like that one in particular, right? That that guy pulling his blinds back, drinking his coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it looks like it's wet out there. Probably not yeah. going to do that. <laughs> you know, like that needs to be addressed. And the fact that it's an entire battalion command, so there's definitely uh, people of rank out there. Mm-hmm. And they're not stepping up to go speak to this person about what's next because of whatever reason, maybe they're afraid of them they maybe, you know, they need a good OER bullet, whatever it may be. Um, and then, you know, like the, the lower ranking people um, and, you know, like, you know, they, they don't have much say anyway because uh, they're just going to do what they're told. But mm-hmm. like it's the people that are out there that are that, are, that have the rank that are not doing they are stepping up and, t- and taking control or taking command. Um i mean it's if it's just a huge problem in the military in general i mean I have a lot of things that I could say about that um but uh what was i gonna say um
0: words for reasons
2: yeah i you know oh well i think so it has something to do with um so it's 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 the good people with uh, uh the right mindset exit the military because they can't deal with all of the, the 98% bullshit that you're, that you're mm-hmm. talking about. And they could stay in and have an impact. <clears throat> they could have an impact, but it's only going to be local. Yeah. Right? Like, if I'm a squad leader, I'm going to have an impact on my squad and and maybe a couple of the other squads and maybe a couple of the troops in the other platoons. Um, but ultimately, the platoon sergeant, first sergeant, and all that, they're going to have an even greater impact because they're going to override what I have to say. Now maybe those troops in my squad they PCS to another place, and they carry on what um, what good I brought, and they disregard what bad I brought, um, like a good person should. And 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 they can carry it on, but depending on their rank, it's it only stays local, and it's still stomped on by those uh, of higher rank and in higher positions um, with bad leadership skills. Yeah. And so I think over time. You know, when you talk about, like, uh, moving up the ranks, it's a pyramid, right? So as you move up in rank, that, that pyramid gets more and more narrow. And the good sometimes makes it to the top. But, like, a lot of it is just kind of stomped out at the local level. And then those people either exit or they just learn to play the game because yeah. they want to stay in the military. Mm-hmm. So very rare. Like, that's why I think it's pretty rare to see good leadership at these higher mm-hmm. levels, Um but it's not impossible. Like I've, 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 definitely seen them. Uh, we actually interviewed my division commander and I think she's uh, a, a great leader. I mean, I'm not saying that because she's my division commander. Um, like she's a great leader. I've, I really, I've really enjoyed her time as, as, as our commander. She's done a lot of great things for change, uh, and promoting, um, certain aspects of, 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 of what her command philosophy is. Um, and there's a lot of great examples that uh, 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 Colonel Klepper, um, over at the, well, he actually just left the 173rd Airborne Division over in Italy. Man, I he's the only, only brigade commander I follow on, on on social media because like the things that he posts every day, he's out there talking to an E1 to E4, getting this picture taken with him. It was like this this high speed cook right here did X Y Z fucking sky soldiers all the way. You know what I mean? He's proud of his troops, yeah. so. Um, that's the stuff that you like to see, but then, you know, you, like I said, you've got social media apps, like U S army, what the fuck? And they're just like blasting all these other people. There was something that I want to talk about, like in chapter seven of your book, uh, your most valuable asset where you talk about, um, I'm assuming you're talking about your people. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, oh gosh, I, I wish I could remember the quote off my head, but it reminds me, um, just kind of reading through the, the contents there. Like it reminds me of Schofield's quote on leadership. Have you ever heard of that?
1: I have, I can't remember. I would have to, I would have to Google it though to get the word. Yeah.
2: Right. Same. Um, but basically it's kind of talking about like, you know, like harsh leadership leads to, you know, not not taking care of your people and that your people are the the, the reason why your leadership is good or bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it reminds me just reading through this stuff kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, admonish in private and reward in public, like take care of your people and let them know that they're doing a great job and, you know,
1: Well, I see it um, sort of what I've discovered through research and through observation and, and experience is people just want to feel seen, heard and valued from their leaders. And I don't mean they need a big deal made out of them. They just if they tell you something, give them the respect to remember what they've told you. Like if someone says, hey, I'm having a rough go at home at the moment. Don't just go, "Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next day, like, why is your performance dropping? They already told you. They've already confided in you. Um, but it's also about understanding that your people's most valuable asset, every individual on this planet's most valuable asset is time. Um, I've known way too many people, I know way too many people who didn't get enough time. And so and part of what happened with this pandemic was people started to evaluate how they were spending that time. So you have to value their time because that's what they value. And that shows them that you respect them. So if you're going to say we're going to have a 30 minute meeting, stick to 30 minutes, get through it efficiently. Don't waste their time because you may as well just flip them off. You know, don't make them wait on you for stuff. If you're the, the gap, like if you're the funnel in your business, if everything has to come through you and you're making people wait for an answer, and that's not even just in business, just in anything, if people are waiting on you to be able to move forward, you're disrespecting their time and you're, you're telling them you don't value them as people, as team members, as employees, as squad members. It's this crazy notion that leadership should be this big like I made it to this leadership thing. It should be about me. Look how great I am that I got here. Your ego needs to sit behind all of that. And if you treat people with respect and you respect their time, you respect what it is they're trying to accomplish, you get to know them and then act accordingly. They will not only achieve the, the goals you've set for them and that they've come up with, they're going to achieve beyond that. And they're going to have your back. And in this world where people like to attack each other all of the time, you can't survive if you don't have somebody saying, hang on a second, that's a good person. Like this is completely unfounded. And I know that because they've taken the time. They got they know me. They know what I've got going on in my life. They know what I want to achieve. They're helping me achieve the things I want to. And it's just... Understanding that your most valuable asset is not the computers, it's not the equipment, it's not anything like that. That stuff is all very well and good, but you lay a rifle down in the middle of Iraq with nobody around, you have a very expensive like paperweight. That's it. It's not going to accomplish anything. Um, if you wheel a truck into the mechanic shop and nobody can fix it, congratulations, you have a very expensive, broken truck. You need people and you need to empower them to succeed in a way that has nothing to do with your ego. So, but I 100%,
2: 100%. Like, I cannot tell you, Tyree, how many times (laughs) were we told? On active duty, hey, we got formation, COB formation at uh, 1700, be out there at 1645. So we're out there at 1630 because, you know, 15 minutes to the 15 minutes makes you one time. Mm-hmm. So there you go, wasting time. And then we're standing there, you know, 1700 rolls around, 1710, 1715. Hey, come back at 1800. Uh, is uh, being pushed back. And so now it's like, okay, we'll we're gonna be, be out here at 1745. So it's going to be 15 minutes early to that. So 1730, that's in 15 fucking minutes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it just continues. Like there were several times. Yeah, that's a that's a constant thing. I think and- the
0: greatest quote I've ever heard about wasting time is from Al Pacino in the movie Heat. And he literally screamed, don't waste my fucking time. Like mm-hmm. our time is money. Yeah. Thinking about it now, like I'm knocking on 40s door. Kevin's past that mark. If I can take back some of that fucking time that we wasted on shit, how much could I, I could have gotten so much more things accomplished if I, if I would have known like, Hey, I don't have to waste this time back then, you know, I didn't have a choice, but now I, I don't have to waste time. I have tons of shit I can do. I'm not going to sit here and spin my wheels on anything because I wasted time before. And I understand like, Hey, time is money or our time is fucking happiness. It doesn't have to be money. Time can be a ton of different things that, that's, that it that are important to you but you know value that shit like people do people underestimate the value of time and it fucking blows when you really realize that it's fucking way too late time's gone
1: yeah well there's a reason that liberty is like the greatest motivator inside of the navy like if you tell people like if you get everything done we'll get off at 1300 you ever seen anyone move so fast and thinking they're gonna get off a couple get off, off work a couple hours early? They're gonna move with a purpose through everything and then they're gonna stand there twelve forty five going Here we like, are. Thirteen hundred is coming and I've done all of the things. Don't mm-hmm. turn around and be like, ha, gotcha. Yeah. We're here till sixteen hundred, go back to work. Because like, yeah. then the next time you say we're getting off thirteen hundred, they're gonna be like, Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: This fucking guy.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Anyway, you know, okay. even even as a drill sergeant, right? So you got these trainees and they're they're in base training for nine, 10 weeks and they don't have free time, right? Their free time is the 30 minutes of personal time before lights out where they get to like, you know, fold their laundry or make their rack or, or take a shower or something, write a letter, but they value that time a lot. So at the end of the day, when training is complete and we're briefing uh, the trainees on what's to happen the next day, because we have our whiteboard and it has the week's training up, right? So we, we know what's coming in advance. And so you know, to, you'll see these drill sergeants that are standing there in front of them and they want to be comedians. They want to be, you know, liked by the group and they want to, you know, put out information. But, like, take 20 minutes to do it, you know. Why? Be, you're, you're just taking up their time. Now, obviously, the, you know, when the trainees are acting crazy, then, you know, they lose their free time. That's just how that works. Absolutely. But when you're that guy who's standing there like, I'm in this position of power, I have this authority. You're going to stand there and you're going to listen to me. You are a shitbag leader. You're terrible. And you need to please get the fuck out of the military and go do that somewhere the fuck else.
1: Yeah. And it's even like in these people who end up at these big consulting firms, or they have these big corporate jobs and they leave. Their people don't like them there either. You know, there's a reason quiet quitting and job hopping became so popular post-COVID because people are like, I'm not coming back to work for you. I'm going to do literally anything except that because I hate you and I do not know. Yeah. Whatever the paycheck is, it's not enough. Yeah. It's, it's not enough. It's I want not, anything
0: else. It's not worth the waste of time, man. Like, exactly. I was LAPD for years, years and years, and the amount of time that I wasted waiting for something, man, fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I could have... I'm not being regretful about it now because, you know, you can't really cry about wasted time. But fuck, man, if if everyone listening to Before I Forget the Greatest Podcast in the history of podcasts, uh, don't waste time with anything, man. If you don't get anything from what we spoke about here today is, is, man, don't be a shitbag leader and don't waste anybody's time.
1: Yeah, I, I it couldn't. is. It is criminally too short the the lifespan that some really good people get and I can guarantee if I could talk to any of them, they would say the same thing, like make the most of every minute that you have because it is over before you know it, you know? And if you served for any amount of time over the last 20 years, you probably know at least one person who didn't get as much time as they ought to have. Mm. And even if you didn't serve, I guarantee everyone knows at least one person who's like, yeah, they probably deserve more time. So just remember that, you know, like life is short and don't waste other people's time because your ego needs, needs 10 minutes in the spotlight. It's not worth it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one other thing that you mentioned in your, in your book. Uh, and is this is one thing that I, I like to preach as much as possible and um, I I especially like to preach it to the people that outrank me um, because they, they need a reminder of it. And it's one of those things that's said in a conversation where you want to look at that person and kind of slap them. Mm -hmm. And it's that part where it's like, this is how it's always been.
1: (sighs) I cannot stand that phrase because it's just such a cop out. It's, it's such an excuse to not, make the effort to make things better the only answer to that is it may be but it doesn't mean it's how it should be just because that's the way it is doesn't mean that's the way it should be so I was a pain in the ass to the people who outranked me I know that I made like it my mission to try I don't care I didn't care as a third class if my second classes were mad at me I didn't care as a second class if my first classes were mad at me I really didn't give a shit if my chiefs didn't like me. What are you going to do? Kick me out? All right, fine. Kick me out. You can't kick me out for telling you you're being a dumbass. Like, maybe if I use those words, but I made it my mission to be like, hey, this is stupid. Like, one of my chiefs, we I used to go and be like, hey, we're about to have a conversation. and This is not a chief to CM2 conversation. This is a to Christy conversation. I'm not going to say his name, but like, you're fucking up. And the first classes are too scared to say anything about it. So I'm in here telling you that it's nonsense and fix it. No, no, no. You've... That's what Chiefs wants. Just give him what he wants. That's such a cop out. You're just being a little bitch because you don't want to get you don't want to get into a confrontation because you don't know how to effectively communicate why you think change needs to happen. He's a chief. He's not a god. Like, and you, oh. and you outnumber him. There's like six of you and one of him.
2: <laughs> I think. I'm think i glad you said that, though. He's a chief, not a god, because especially in the military and even in the civilian workplace, like people are so afraid to address higher ranking people because they have this higher rank. They're not a god. They're not. You know, they, they, yeah, sure. They can probably initiate some type of like judicial punishment or whatever if you're fucked up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But and this is what I tell my trainees. If, if you're if you're always right, can how can you be wrong? Right. If you if you approach a matter intelligibly, like if you if you can articulate what it is that you want to say and you can do it in a professional manner with tact, how can you be wrong? Yeah. It's you know, they're not they're not going to like wave some magic wand and snap their fingers and suddenly you're a private and you're, you know, on your way out of the military.
1: There's a lot more steps that go into that. If you can say, hey this is not the correct course of action, I believe that this would be the better course of action because of these reasons and here's all of my support that comes from publications and whatever else to make sure you're within the the confines of what you're allowed to do. It would take a really idiot of a leader to be like, no, we're going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And even if they do say that, you at least showed someone else who was probably, people are always watching what you do, no matter what, someone's always learning from you or observing you. One other person probably will see you make that stand and be like, okay, so it's okay to stay, to like stand up for myself and for my people and try to improve things. You know, we all remember the great leaders that we've had because we can also remember the ones we don't want to be anything like. But you ask anyone, hey, name one of your favorite leaders from when you served in the military. Everyone's got at least one that they can name by name and give you a list of reasons why. And I guarantee somewhere on that list is that they cared about them. It's not, well, it's just, that's how it's always been. If that were the case, oh, we'd still have rum on ships. (laughs) The same. I mean... Like, did, did I would be fine with that. Did that need to
2: change? I don't think <laughs> that one need to change. I don't yeah. really
1: think that one needed to change, you know? <laughs> now you've got to go, was it 30, 30 or 45 days? I don't remember how long we waited. We were, we were out at sea for so long. baby babysat a bulldozer on a ship in 2010, and we were out in the Arabian Sea for so long, we got a beer day. Beer day is you go up and they give you two beers and you sit on the flight deck and they mark your hand and you drink them in the 110 degree heat oh contemplating God. all of the life decisions that made you get to that exact point drinking warm beer. Mm. <laughs> oh. Not a not a drop of rum to be found though, which I think is a real shame. They should bring that back.
0: Yeah, for sure. We should demand that. <laughs> you guys should get a petition. So hey, uh This has been a great show, and I don't want to be that guy who has to say, hey, we got to cut this out, but hey, we have to start cutting this one down. Another quick question, what would you tell a person your age around the same time that you went in before they signed? What would you tell them? What experience exactly would you say hey don't do this don't do that what what would you try to tell this person to make them have a better career for that first enlistment what advice would you give yeah I mean that's a whole lot of talking but yeah what advice
1: if I could go back and give myself a piece of advice that I joined um I would say enjoy it Like Even in the times where you want to slam your face into a wall, like there's usually something to be thankful for. No matter what, there's always some fun to be had in that situation, so enjoy it. And then the very last line of my book, and it's actually my sign-off on my own podcast, is, you are duty-bound to pursue excellence. And it's something I got taught very early on in my Army time in, in Australia. And it's just this you have a responsibility to yourself and to the people around you to do everything you can to pursue excellence. You know, you do not get to join and then be a dirt bag. Like mm. that doesn't provide value to anybody and you're just going to waste your life. So I would say, yeah, enjoy it, Try and find the joy in the moments that suck and just remember that above all else, you are duty-bound to to pursue excellence. Yeah,
0: that's going to get an applause from me over here on this side. That's a good one. Yeah. So, hey, um, you mentioned your podcast, and we have a podcast, so tell our listeners how they can contact and listen to your show, get a copy of your book, where can they find it, the whole nine yards.
1: So my podcast is called The Elite Edge It's a weekly podcast. You can find it on all streaming platforms as well as YouTube. And my book is called the power of elite teams and it is available on Amazon or order in hardback, Kindle or paperback. There it is. If You can't find me on any of those things. You can find me kicking around on LinkedIn, giving people, you know, unsolicited advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it.
2: I love it. And for those wondering, want to see the book, if you're watching, um, the power of elite teams right here. Um, it's good. I'm actually gonna read it. I'm actually really excited to read. It. I, I was re- excited to read it beforehand. Um, after talking to you, um, I'm definitely excited to read it. Um, and you're not lying. The the last line in the book is is your is your line. Where did it go? It's right there in big bold letters. As a matter of fact, on page two thirty one. Remember, you are duty bound to pursue excellence. I love it. It's good. Uh, it's been great talking with you for real. Um, I'm very happy you you, uh, you came on and we were able to make this happen. And hopefully, um, our listeners and watchers uh, jump on over to your show, The Elite Edge, and um, and uh, check you out for sure.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks for the support. I appreciate it.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. No problem. So, hey, everyone, thank you for listening to Before I Forget, the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. <laughs> we have a website it's www.beforeforgetthepodcast.com. We have all kind of cool shit for you to buy. Kevin, you got anything before we leave? No. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.